Did you know that traveling broadens your horizons through cultural immersion? Did you know that travel is linked to higher education regardless of gender or other demographic factors? Did you know that students who took educational trips were more likely to graduate from high school, attend college, and go to graduate school? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you from a warm Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple, Dave Cumberbatch, who is uh, suffering in 20-degree weather out on Long Island right about now. <laughs> I told you, I said to you in our last uh, podcast, don't mention snow and reference that I'm from Barbados. The two don't go together. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, 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 that actually begs the next question. Now, how did you wind up in New York? <laughs> I, well, well, that's another question. I'll have, to, I'll, I'll have to have you talk to my wife about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, not, not to rub it in, but I, I rode 17 miles on my bike this morning outdoors. Oh, oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, I get a little exercise now. You know, I'm, I'm still afraid to go into the gyms because of COVID, especially here in Vegas. Um, but uh, uh, we're, we're, we're getting a handle on it. But enough, of the, enough about the weather. Um, we have a very interesting show today. It's the intersection of travel and higher education and how it impacts our growth. And I, I think people take travel for granted. I'm spoiled. And our guest doesn't know this about me yet, but I'm spoiled because my father was in the United States Air Force. And I traveled as a child. I got to see parts of the world that most young Americans never see. And so I take travel for granted, but I recognize now as, you know, an old man that my education through travel kind of shaped who I am. Yes, I mean, and, and education sure, certainly does. Um, and when we talk about education, it's not, it's not just academic education. It's education. It's about growth. It's about understanding other people, other cultures, you know. And uh, this country in the United States was made up of, of, um, of uh, folks who came here looking for better opportunities. And they come from all across the world. And, you know, they contribute. You know, I think some of the nonsense we're going through right now as a country would be uh, mitigated somewhat if we uh, if people traveled outside of the comfort zone of their front door of their house. And uh, even if it's just within the country, just get out and see something else and, and learn about other things. But, you know, we're going to get into all this discussion with our guests. So I don't want to uh, get out over my skis on this because I'm sure he has some perspectives that maybe you and I hadn't thought about. And I can't wait. Um, before we uh, do that, uh, as I say at the beginning of every episode, let me take care of our housekeeping notes first. You can catch our podcast at tripcast360.com or wherever you get your podcast. We are on every single platform you can imagine iTunes, Google, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and probably a couple dozen others that I don't even know the names of. So please share, like, subscribe, invite your friends, take a listen, send us some comments, and uh, we would be glad to have you as part of our audience. And uh, Dave, why don't you uh, let them know how they can also uh, interact with us via social media. You can catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and follow us, message us, tag us. And to begin receiving our, new, our newsletter, go to our website, tripcast360.com, 
and sign up. And uh, Michael, you know what? I'm also extremely excited about our fourth of the month. You know, you can participate by going to tripcast360.com. It's a great way for photographers, amateurs, or professionals to get recognized and benchmark their work against friends and peers from around the world. Whether you're a professional, a photographer, an amateur, a hobbyist, a journalist, student, or traveler waiting to share your memories, TripCast360 provides the perfect uh, platform to hone your skills and get recognized. And and for those of you who uh, have who dare submit, <laughs> and I'm laughing <laughs> when I say dare submit, please have a little fun with it. Don't always send us the serious stuff. Have a little fun. Have a little laughter. You know, travel is meant to uh, you know not only build cultural awareness, but it's meant to have fun. You know, so don't be afraid to send those to us too. Quirky photos work just as well as those you know professional photos of the great vistas of an ocean view or something. So please just have some fun with it. That's right. So anyway, without further ado, let's jump into today's show. Our guest is Dr. Anton R. Reese. He is president and CEO of West Kentucky Community and Technical College. He has a distinguished career in education that spans three decades. He earned his doctorate degree in educational psychology and research from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Dr. Reese is a much sought after public speaker and has an extensive communications background. He has a history of landmark achievements, including being the first African-American Dean of Student Affairs at the University of Kentucky Community College System. Dr. Reese sums up his leadership style as empowering others to find their voice and by achieving their education and career dreams with direction and purpose. We wanted Dr. Reese here today to not only discuss his journey, but also to explore the power of travel in the lives of college students. Dr. Reese, welcome to TripCast360. Uh, thank you so much, uh, David and Mike. Um, first of all, let me just say by with that intro, I can figure out if it was a eulogy or, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate that generous uh, introduction. And uh, certainly uh, I, I, it, it did not go uh, uh, beyond me when you mentioned about uh, getting on your skis, right? As another jab about how cold it is uh, <laughs> where we are as we speak. And uh, yeah, uh, so so again, thanks for this opportunity and I look forward to uh, the conversation. I, I see I, I'm speaking to somebody who's as quick on his feet as I am. This is good. Yeah, Dr. Issa, as, 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 as Michael mentioned at the beginning, you know, the show today is about the intersection of travel and her education and how it impacts our growth. Um, I read a recent survey that explored the impact of learning focused travel and academic performance and career growth. Um, the findings somewhat demonstrates travel's power to transform how students approach learning, deepen their understanding of the world and expand their career possibilities. Can you share how travel improves educational attainment and future success? Uh, sure. So uh, let me offer uh, three observations uh, around that question about the significance of travel uh, and the impact. Uh, first, uh, there is a saying that I've been championing for many decades, that you truly never fully, I believe, appreciate or understand your culture till you get outside of it, right. one. Two, there's also related saying uh, coming from the islands, 
you will never you will never discover the ocean unless you're willing to leave the shore. So there is a intentionality uh, for starters associated with this thought about getting outside of one's familiarity, one's comfort zone, right? Uh, uh, all linked to our identity, but there's another part of our identity that I submit to you uh, is external. And you achieve that through travel, be it physical, preferably. You could do it in escape through books as an educator. Certainly in college settings, we bring the world to us, but our international students. And likewise, we do things like study abroad, and I'm sure we get into some more of those sorts of service learning, et cetera. So uh, those are just three examples of, uh, at the onset, how uh, culture and its underpinnings is directly linked to travel. Wow. Wow. That's pretty profound the way that you uh, uh, stated that. As I mentioned at the top of the uh, program, I take my background as second nature. It just was natural to me. I, uh, I lived in Madrid, Spain when I was five years old. And my father did something really smart. Um, he did not allow us to live on the military base. He made sure we lived in Madrid. Mm. And all of our neighbors were Spanish speakers. And I had to learn the language. Uh, and, um, and, and I remember being culturally immersed. But then when I came back to the United States, I was in for a culture shock because it was the middle of the civil rights movement. And I had no clue what civil rights were. The Spanish mm-hmm. people did not cover the civil rights movement. So uh, you had mentioned in, in the description you just gave to us or the answer to Dave's question that a lot of people learn culture from books. Unfortunately, that's how I learned American culture through books. I didn't have a guide to kind of, you know, guide me through it. So I had to start reading and some of that I didn't get to until I was an adult. And 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 it and it's scary to see that, you know, in terms of the cultural experience that we have now, what are your thoughts on applying that that expanded cultural know-how to what's going on in America today. I, you know, I made the comment also earlier that I think it would just change everything if people just got out of their comfort zone. Um, uh, amen to, to, to several pieces of that. So if you will, let me, let me as I do I process things. So let me link, because sometimes you can give a more in-depth response when you link it to your personal experience. I'm originally from, like David, from the Caribbean nation of Barbados. Tiny island in the uh, Eastern Caribbean. Barbados is a country, still to this day, that is about 90% black. From there, uh, and, I, and I worked in radio and television for uh, eight years before coming over to the U.S. Miami uh, is where my family uh, relocated to, right? Uh-huh. Different culture. First time in my life, if you will, that I had an exposure to multiple cultures, heavy uh, Hispanic, all right, because of Cuba and the South American countries in Miami. I was pretty good in track, uh, so I got a track scholarship to Eastern Kentucky University, where I did my bachelor's degree in broadcasting news. And I must tell you that uh, landing in uh, Richmond, Kentucky, uh, January 1984, I left Bar- uh, Miami. It was probably about 84, kind of like Barbados. I landed at about eight uh, in uh, uh, Richmond, Kentucky. And, uh, you know, Kentucky, in case uh, your listeners don't know, it's the second whitest state in the South. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm laughing. Right. That's why I'm laughing so, as so, you're speaking. So, so, so just think of the irony, right? Uh, to say if you want God to get a good belly laugh, tell him your plans. 
So, you know, on this side of the pond, if you will, the goal was to get a broadcasting degree. You know, here it was, you know, hitting all the markers, size of TV market uh, matters. I want to get to Atlanta, to CNN. God brings me to Kentucky. So, you know, thank God for West Virginia, which is the whitest state in the South. So that, just that cultural journey for me uh, 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 informed, if you will, and broadened also my consciousness. Wow, that not only that there's a lot uh, beyond me, but as I said earlier, situating my culture becomes almost part survival. Temperature was obviously different. Food, dramatically different. Accents, tremendously different. And in the case of uh, U.S. Uh, history and politics, certainly the whole civil rights, uh, depth of racism historically for this country, uh, living in Barbados 90% black, I must say that, that that was not our biggest issue, right? It was more about the, the, the uh, uh, class system, if you will, under the old British yeah. uh, 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 Commonwealth uh, uh, process. So so that, that does warm. How it links to where we are even as a country. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also point out, uh, you know, to your listeners as well, you know, um, February is Black History Month. Uh, it, it is very significant. I've lost count. I, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, speaking and leading and all that. And without fail, uh, and I wouldn't put you guys on the spot, but I would say, uh, so, uh, you know, who's the founder of Black History Month on White February? And without uh, a blink, people would say, you know, Martin Luther King. And, you know, and I said, well, let's hop there for a second. Dr. King was born in 1929. Dr. Carter G. Woodson founded Black History in 1926. It's hard to find something that was around three years before you were even born. Right. And why the month of February? Not because it's the shortest and coldest month of the year, but Carter G. Woodson was concerned that in the annals of history, that the cultural, academic, uh, leadership, inventions by African-Americans were not recorded in mainstream history. And to this day, that's still a challenge. So he was concerned and he created this process of putting together a series of volumes to capture uh, our history, you see. And then it was expanded beyond National Negro History Week, as it was called, to nationally in 1976. President Ford uh, then made it a national recognition uh, of Black History Month. The month of February, because it coincided with the birth, birth dates of uh, Abraham Lincoln with the Emancipation Proclamation and the impact that had on the Black experience. And Frederick Douglass, the distinguished orator, right. uh, uh, writer, author, right, uh, humanitarian, uh, if you will. So I say that to say that uh, it, it all links because the, the whole uh, premise with that intentionality of stepping outside of your comfort zone, to even be open, to be receptive to other cultures or just simply put differences, has a lot to do with how you are grounded and what you're grounded in. Reverend Jose Williams, one of King's uh, civil rights uh, leaders, says he or she that is ignorant of their history is destined to repeat it. Yeah. Well, likewise, you could replace history with culture. The absence and understanding of the significance and the importance of culture beyond celebration. I call it, I call it the, uh, oh, uh, uh, we, we like to engage in conversations about differences uh, and culture when it comes to the three Fs, food, fun, right, uh, and, and fellowship. So, you know, if we wearing T-shirts, uh, we ring or our national flag in some sort of capacity, we're having a meal, hey, we're good to go. But when you get into the deeper underpinnings of culture 
and you start talking about power differentials and cultural biases, uh, it gets real squirrely really, really, really fast. So in a nutshell, again, to be consistent, we need, and, and this is the beauty of working in higher education, I get to have a space where students from clearly from different walks of life, totally different backgrounds, where else on a college campus can you have a, particularly if you've got residence halls, can you have a Palestinian student and a Jewish student as roommates? I can't think of nowhere else in the free world. No. Where else uh, uh, in the free world can you sit in certain classes like uh, history, modern social problems, et cetera, and have deep debate and dialogues constructed and undergirded with research? So we, we actually, as part of the curriculum, you know, we're teaching people to, to, to simultaneously develop that thirst for knowledge and curiosity culturally, and at the same time, giving them the tools of how we engage, how we communicate, uh, which then leads, I think, with deeper understanding, more respect, tolerance, uh, and embracing uh, of other cultures. So what we see playing out nationally, to me, is a, is, a, is a continuous domino effect that we were lulled into this false sense of reality that America as a nation and one of the world leaders was much further ahead than originally thought in terms of cultural and racial progression. And it has all culminated to a point now where it's undeniable that it's a very polarized nation. Mm -hmm. While I argue historically and culturally, that has been the case. And thus, my friends, that is where the work must continue. No, as James Baldwin said, we we still have not confronted the lie. Absolutely correct. And hey, we, Mike, go ahead. Hey, Mikey, you're quoting my favorite novelist now. <laughs> James, James Baldwin. Now. Well, I, I happen to, I, I happen to be I happen to be in the middle of reading a book by Professor Eddie Cloud, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and he does a deep dive on James Baldwin. So I didn't mean to steal your. Yeah. <laughs> but Doctor Reese. Baldwin says, I am not your Negro. That, that, that's a title within there itself, you go. right? Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, but, yes, but Dr. Reese, you, you, you mentioned about foreign students and your foreign student program. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that Western Kentucky Community Technical College has a certain percentage of foreign students. And mm -hmm. that begs the question, uh, when we deal with immigration policies as it impacts higher education, why, why does it matter and what should we know about the importance of having a sound immigration policy? Well, first of all, let, let's hover uh, again and, 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 and make the personal and educational connection and the power culture. Two years ago, Venezuela was certainly in the peaks of a civil war with Maduro. Mm -hmm. I have three Venezuelan students still to this day can't go home because of the political unrest in Venezuela. Mm. I could read about it in the book. I could research it on the internet, but to sit and have then the student dialogues uh, around, uh, as you mentioned, immigration and, and those sort of things mm -hmm. is a, a, a totally different sort of conversation, right? So back again mm -hmm. to, the, to the beauty and power of what we have, one. Mm -hmm. Second, uh, related to the educational atmosphere that I've experienced, both here and at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, where I was for 13 years. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I led uh, the, uh, the first, uh, one of the first international trips uh, for some of our UT students to Mexico. It was a service learning trip, right? So you got, uh, there's a service learning piece and then there's a more formal study abroad type thing, service learning. So uh, we went to Masalon, Mexico. And I remember all the planning, recruiting, leading up to the trip, where the immigration issues have all this been around, right? Great debates at the federal level for sure. And I remember listening very intently to uh, colleagues and certainly to the students about their perceptions about illegal immigration and about these Mexicans coming in, trying to take jobs and all of that sort of stuff. I remember distinctly when we got on our plane and we landed in Mazatlan, Mexico. And first of all, going from the equivalent to me, if you've ever been to, to, to Mexico, in particularly Mazatlan, mm-hmm. it looks like South Beach. Yep. I, I was like, wait a minute, we're doing service learning, uh, working with the poor, and I'm looking at the skyscrapers and the, the nightlife and all of that. Well, but where we actually had to go was just eight miles in <laughs> outside of Masalon to uh, this uh, refugee place, refugee place uh, with foster children, children with, children with disabilities. Um, it was called the, uh, uh, the Americano, the, the, the Asociación uh, de Padre La Padre. And when we went eight miles in, the depth of poverty, I must say, uh, for me, was much worse than I've ever seen. And I've been to several of the islands even, right? You know, we got that contrast of wealth and, and, and poverty. Uh, but, you know, the cardboard shanties and, you know, uh, 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 just, just real rough, rural, poor, a lot of place unkempt, those, those sort of things. Well, you better believe after spending uh, a week in that sort of conditions and we got no hot water, right? So you got to do the cold water baths and there's only two working restrooms and there's 30 of us uh, in this group, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And women, the whole conversation is different on the plane coming back mm-hmm. because now we go, well, now I got to see exactly why, <laughs> hey, people put their lives on the line, right? To come overseas and right, that type of thing. And uh, about half our group pledged to take up a Spanish course because the importance of picking up another language, which we haven't even got that part yet, right? In terms of the, the other aspect of culture too, right? It's, it's about communication uh, and language as part of the embedded culture. So those are two examples where, uh, to me again, is the beauty of, uh, of education where you either bring that international experience or you go to it. Uh, and in both of those settings, you, you clearly get context beyond the, what was in the books right. uh, and or what you may hear or see, or see on TV. Right. Yeah. Well, I've been to Mazatlan, so I know exactly what you're talking about. You 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 look around and there's this modern city. Actually, I didn't know this when I got to Mazatlan. They said it was the largest port in Mexico in terms of shipping goods and stuff back and forth. But when we went outside the city, oh, my God, it was a totally (laughs) different experience. So I I, I feel you on that one. I I wanted to ask you, you know, you're in Western Kentucky. You know, like you said, it's the whitest state in in, (laughs) the second whitest state in America. Yeah. Yeah. do you get uh, to actively recruit international students to come to your university? So one of the challenges for us at the community and technical college level, because of the complexity and the changing immigration laws, uh, it requires a, a pretty much a pretty good sized machine, actually, to provide a level of support for international students. Like I had at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, right? right? I mean, you know, you talk $2.3 billion budget, compared to 52 million is two different worlds, right? Right. So uh, 40 miles from where I am, there's Murray State University. 
And that is where the bulk of international students go, again, because they have, uh, again, a whole international set of resources, processing visas and working with immigration, I think. The international students we get in Paducah tend to be kids of parents, people coming in to work. There's a, a big nuclear plant uh, here in Paducah uh, is in deactivation mode. So they get, you know, engineers and folk from all, all over the world. And we got two large medical facilities as well. So our international students, uh, the core of them tend to be, you know, related to, uh, you know, people who come into the area to work, that type of thing. Uh, and then to come to school, all right, secondary. Whereas at the four, four-year universities, that's a direct recruitment to them. And, you know, they got housing and, and all that uh, in place. So that, that's the distinction uh, between the two. So our national population is actually small, uh, you know, at, at a community at the college. But we also try to maximize that and get them connected, uh, obviously, uh, uh, to those at Murray and, and vice versa. Right. Permit me to take a, a, a step back, just one step back. Sure. When you mentioned about being in Mexico and seeing such poverty, et cetera, yeah. um, what impact does that have on the students' abilities to study? Well, 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 well first of all, um, you know, certainly, um, uh, again, I'm, I'm putting this back to, you know, my experience growing up in Barbados. You travel from St. Michael to St. John, where a lot of school is where I went to. Mm-hmm. Law school, quote, was like the equivalent of being in the middle of nowhere, right? Deep right. in St. John, surrounded by cane fields. Uh, I tell folk all the time that uh, we were fueled at that location to produce actually so many of the nation's scholars and leaders and That's you know, true. athletes and all that. But our motto was passant quia possibilita. They can because they think they can. Yeah. I use that as part of my response in that. So very early in, it was... Uh, if you will, uh, impressed upon us. It is not as much as what you're surrounded by, and in our case at law school, cane fields, as much as this who you're surrounded with. So those teachers and those administrators had the ability of creating this haven that even in very rural settings with limited resources, that is still, still, still the, lower, the, the, higher, uh, the lower limit. But likewise, in Mexico, you know, what we saw clearly then was like the neighborhood equivalent uh, of schools in such an impoverished area, they didn't have computers and all the fancy equipment. But in terms of you know uh, the, the outdoor benches, you know the old chalkboards, the reading, and, and and all the things that is associated with the educational experience wasn't necessarily ideal, but it was an expectation and an importance around getting folk reasonably educated. Uh, in that setting that we were there. So on one hand, it would have an impact. But again, a lot of times it's contextual. For, for some of the kids, that's all they know, right? Uh, so then it's all about the ability for the teachers and the supporters, you know, to really uh, uh, lift them up. The other part, too, is uh, because of the nature of the organization that we work with, kids with disabilities, you know, that's, a, that's an extra lift, uh, if you will, because they're added needs, Right. So for our students, part of our learning experience, too, in addition to learning the culture, was that extra patience, man, and helping uh, to do this whole thing with um, uh, horse therapy, where they got these horses that just walk around in circles, and the kids ride them, right, as mm-hmm. part of the therapy, to kids to open up, to get the confidence, you know, that type of thing. So that's also a learning experience happening there, you know what I'm saying, because there's that 
added components uh, by the nature of what we saw there. So we, we are products of uh, our environment. We either could be lifted or be uplifted by them. And I would submit to you that uh, that is basically uh, what those students uh, have to engage in. And I'm sure all things being equal, they, they, they do pretty good. Obviously could do uh, a lot more with more resources. And hence, again, uh, tie back into why some would then for sure try to pursue to get closer to the big cities and or to the U.S., but, you know, then you're dealing with all the different dynamics uh, internally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I mean the not to mention the fact, Dave. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Sinaloa is right in, or Mazatlan is right in the middle of the Sinaloa drug cartel region of Mexico. So not only are they facing poverty issues, they're facing danger with yeah. their lives. So they've got. Uh, I mean, when I was in Mazatlan, you know, the police were walking around carrying M16s right down the middle of the street. We don't see that in the United States, right? Uh, so it's a totally different thing. But going back to something else too, and this happened to me when I went to Fiji. I went to Fiji 2006, and I remember on the plane about an hour before we landed, they came around and had a collection plate. They wanted the people on the plane to uh, donate to uh, childhood education on Fiji because their schools are all, are all funded by tourism. Mm. And the, when you go to Fiji, the beach areas are all tourist areas. The interior of the country is where the people live and they don't have a lot of contact with the outside world except for uh, the tourists when they service them at their hotels. But I, I got a, a special invite by the king to go see some of the students in their school environment you would have thought I was a rock star. <laughs> Those kids were so happy to see me. They actually had me sitting. They all spoke English. They had me sitting down telling them stories about what the rest of the world was like, especially in the United States, because that's where so many of them had been. I, I don't think people quite understand the impact of travel on children. When you hit them at a young age and all of a sudden they say, oh, there's a possibility I can do. Yeah, there is. And uh, I've never forgotten that experience. It actually brings tears to my eyes every time I think about it. Those little kids, they're second, third graders. They wouldn't let me go. Yeah. So, so, so let me add to this because you mentioned, uh, I believe, that uh, you, you came a uh, military family move, move, moving around. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Be, be, because, you know, I've I found in my uh, travels, uh, Mike, that it is interesting in terms of, I'm, I'm generalizing to some extent, naturally, from this perspective. So when I think of my body of work and, and engaging people and, you know, raising the consciousness for culture and differences and all that, I've often noticed that. So people who, who do come from military families, by proxy of living in different countries, now in your case, you had the extra push, but, but, but again, you, you left the shore. And for those uh, that, who have lived in different areas, you know, again, there's something, there's a vulnerability when you're outside a home base, that maybe it's part of survival, uh, as you know very well, but you know, you 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 try to assimilate and, 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 and try different foods because there's only so much burgers and fries that they're even available that you can eat. And you know, uh, you may not be able to get your native music. And so so it almost forces you to 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 assimilate and, and, and as a child and as children, right? I, I think that that becomes um, uh, an interesting sort of dynamic because those then too who not only lived overseas, but went to school in different school systems. Well, as you know, man, uh, one of the universal languages is, is, is still really all about, you know, that, that curiosity and, and, and love and, 
and getting to know each other and, and peer pressure and all that, doing that in different cultures young is huge. That, that's a life-changing skill. And oftentimes the kids probably get more and grow more than the adults who may go there to do a specific task, a specific duty uh, type thing uh, was one place that they wanted to park. Uh, uh, the, the second part uh, as well, too, is, you know, I, I still, all of these years, I've been in the U.S., no gosh, 34 years easily. I still think back, you know, people really can't wrap their minds around that. There are still places in this world. There is no yellow bus coming. Right. You just can't, you just can't run to Walmart and spend 20 bucks and come up with uh, staplers and, and pins and and, and, and all those sort of supplies not back home, <laughs> back home, however they find, you got to double, triple, you know, quadruple the, uh, uh, the price. So, like, e- e- even the basics, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, 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 these food cafeterias, you know, providing yeah. pretty pretty decent meals and all that sort of craziness. Eh, everybody doesn't come up with that sort of experience, right? Uh, so, 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 so I put that in the mix, uh, as you mentioned, through, through, through the eyes of, of, of particular children uh, and in that sort of experience, those are the sort of things that, that shape and, and have an impact you uh, really throughout almost all your life. Uh, in many ways, it, it is why you're so hoard, you know, it, it pull open these drawers, you know, there's a lot of pens, there's a lot of, because I remember the days when that wasn't that plentiful on uh, yep. new books. What? A new book? No, sir. It was all, it was always used Back in yes. the day, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you, you see what with, I'm saying? With the pages ripped out. Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I, I first speaker said, "Look, man, you know, the, the, uh, this one guy, uh, uh, I bore talked about, you know, first in Ghana, man, and you know, there's still places where school children crowded around street lights to be able to get light to read those uh, uh, used books uh, uh, to be able to succeed and achieve." Many go to school where sustained electricity and good running water, and again, we're talking about AC or heat, uh, is foreign, right? So people adjust. So, so I say all that to say that all of those intersections and underpinnings, to me, uh, screams why raising the level of consciousness. To me, the words are powerful. The opposite of conscious is unconscious. I submit to you, it's just like when we drive, right? You're going to, on a trip, the way that the human mind works, you get to a point where you go, wait a minute, I've been driving for 45 minutes. I don't remember. And you see the right. sign saying 10 miles from your destination and you can't remember what happened that past 40. It's yeah. like we, we, we cruise through life, right? No. So you remove then uh, 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 that automatic feature, get a stick shift, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, you're more grounded in the experience, right? So for me, Again, there is an intentionality associated with culture right. uh, first, but it starts with raising the level of consciousness and with a question, why would I need to step outside of my culture? For what? It's comfortable if I remain just as I am. And that's a choice people make. 90% of people probably wouldn't even think about leaving the home country, coming to somewhere else. Well, we did on some level, right? So, yeah. so, right? so, 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 so I get it as well, too. So, 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 here's, my, so, so here's my last piece. So to me, it starts with consciousness. You may get that again through travel. That, that, to me, that's preferred one because you, you get two or three things happening when you, when, when you travel, including context and, and, and being able to get beyond the books and, and, and beyond the formal uh, knowledge and, and, and the history and, and all the sort of things. 
uh, that gives a, a, a broader context. That's important. Second, empathy is, 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 is another piece for me uh, in, in the collegiate setting. I say to my students, I say to my colleagues all the time, uh, I got an invite now many years ago to hear a Jewish Holocaust survivor speak. And I remember this old guy in his 80s held that hand up and he had those, you know, the numbers that they had, you know, and this was, had to be back in the early 90s because in 92, when the Jewish Holocaust Museum opened up in DC, I was among the first set of, uh, of folk that couldn't wait to get in there. I'm not Jewish. But going through that Jewish Holocaust Museum, if you've never been there, I don't care who you are, you go in and you come out, it changes something. And likewise, now we got the African American Museum in DC. Uh, I was there two years ago, uh, prior to COVID. And there's something too about things like museums, right? That, that can foster and create that thirst, that curiosity. But then the, the, the bread and butter of it then is how you then engage folk from that setting that you are curious about, hearing directly from them is an incredibly valuable thing. And hearing from them in the context of their culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would sit, I, I would park on this point. So for me, to be able to travel like to Jerusalem or to Poland, right, or to Germany and visit and see firsthand Auschwitz, that would build and add upon what I saw in D.C. Mm-hmm. But what I saw in D.C. would pale in comparison, if you will, to being able to go over to uh, uh, Germany and seeing first, it, it, the something about seeing it, smelling it, and interacting with people uh, who are there, right? So I think that does where the opportunities still are. And, and I think it's an advantage that Americans have because of the resources and because of the wealth, they have more opportunities to travel. And unfortunately, many choose uh, to do it recreationally. I'm talking about culturally. It is so fitting that you said that because, you know, you talk about empathy and understanding other people's cultures. But in my research in terms of preparation to interview you, I, I came across a study that suggests that adults who experience educational travel as a teen have a median income of $5,000 higher or earn 12% greater than personal income annually than their peers. It also, it also reveals that nine out of 10 people who took educational trips during their youth says that the experience helped their educational careers. I find that to be so significant and so poignant at this time. So, so they, but a lot of that is linked back to consciousness. And, 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 and let me just, let me just maybe drill, drill a little deeper of what I'm getting at here. So in the educational setting, if I had to simplify it, one analogy is that youth or adults, students, let me use that term, students. Right. It, it, it's like, use the analogy of a sponge, right? So you take a sponge, a dry sponge, and you squeeze it, ain't nothing coming out. Right. Education and culture, to me, is like where you get a bucket of water, you dip that uh, sponge in it, it gets heavier because... You're soaking in more, right? You're raising your level of consciousness, right? As you raise your level of consciousness, well, there's both altitude and there's also breadth of knowledge. There's an adage that the circumference of our knowledge is the diameter of our understanding. Mm -hmm. So consciousness, you see, uh, is is, is that that catalyst uh, in terms of where it starts. 
So culture to me then is like a deep sponge dip, uh, if you will, right? Where then the water is heavier than the sponge, the human brain, right? And so the more uh, a cultural uh, linkages that is tied to education, uh, it, it, it makes sense. I mentioned that language is one of the clear offshoots connected with culture. Uh, the, the, the last uh, uh, opportunity that I had before I left the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, to come uh, here as president, I held a panel with some of my peers, and it was one question, all very well accomplished. I said, gosh, you know, we've all been out of school now at least 20 plus years. I said, if you had to do a do-over from your college experience, what would you do differently? Top three. Number one, they wish they had gotten more engaged in college life outside of the comfort zone. Number two was study abroad. That they really wish they had gone abroad. And third was learn a, another language, right? And, 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 and those opportunities were always there, right? You sign up, right? You, you squirrel together your money and, and resources or do scholarships and, and, and you go. And so to me, it was fascinating that, you know, decades later, that is what we still come back to, man. It, 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 it is getting outside of oneself uh, with intention. No. Does indeed broaden uh, your scope. Fantastic yeah. analogy. I'm, I'm going to steal one of your quotes. Can you repeat it again? The circumference of? The circumference of our knowledge is the diameter of our understanding. Fantastic. I love that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to piggyback on how you just finished the um, answer to the last question. And I'm going to couch it this way. When I went to Spain, I was five. So during my time in Spain, President Kennedy was assassinated. The bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church happened. The passage of the Civil and Voting Rights Act happened. Malcolm X was assassinated. I was born in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which happened to have been the year of the 1964 Democratic Convention uh, mm-hmm. in my hometown. I wasn't there. Uh, the Beatles stormed America, and they were actually stormed Spain, too, by the way. They were all over the place. <laughs> so I, I prefaced what I just said to you is that I had no idea what it was like to be African-American, Negro, or Black, whatever phrase you want to use to describe what we were called in the 1960s. I was eight years old when we came back to the United States, and I spent four more years in northern Maine, up near the Canadian border. We were so far north, you could throw a snowball from my bedroom window and hit hit Canada. I I think we were two miles from the Canadian border, tucked up in the northeast corner. And I, 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 I preface all that to say that in 1970, I went to a place called Panama City, Florida. Oh, man. It was in the Florida Panhandle. It's like halfway between Pensacola and Tallahassee, right on the Gulf of Mexico. It's like going back in time, Michael. Oh, it it was more than going back in time, brother. Let me tell you. (laughs) And I remember the year I got there, they used forced busing to integrate the schools. Now, at the time, you're talking to a 12-year-old, six-foot-one-inch skinny black kid who had no idea what it was like to be black in America, being bussed with my white uh, 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 people who lived at Tyndall Air Force Base to an all black, formerly all black school. The day that I got to school, I knew I was in way over my head. 
I had no idea what the experience was. I had no idea of the discrimination. I remember some of my classmates after I got to know them, every time they saw a white man walk down the street, they would walk across the street. I wasn't having that. My father would have killed me if I had walked on the other side of the street. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, no, you walking. No, you, you, sure. you, you know, no man's going to do that to you. And I, and going back to this, my cultural experience in Spain and Maine, where I was outside of my comfort zone, actually allowed me to learn the culture that was my own. It enabled me because I wasn't afraid of it. You know, when I saw my black classmates, they were afraid to experience. I was not. Yeah. Because I had seen other parts of the world. And I remember it took about a year for them to start to even speak to me. Remember, I lived in northern Maine and Spain. So I had this quirky New England accent and spoke fluent Spanish. You do the you do the analogy on that one. <laughs> yeah. um, I, yeah. I was a joke. I, I really was. I was a joke. The only reason I started playing sports, honestly, was because I needed my classmates to accept me. Mm. Because I was an academic person. I, of course, it didn't help that I was six foot one in the seventh grade. So, you know, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I went out and played football in the eighth grade. And you know what those kids did? My own classmates, they took turns hitting me in practice. But I was willing to endure the pain of the hits just to get them to talk to me. And, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier that about the poverty. My classmates didn't have enough money to eat. They would sit around me at lunchtime, and if I left anything on my tray, there would be a fight over the food that was left on my tray. And by the, you know, but in, in the three years that I was there, we eventually got to the point to where I would have my dad go out to their neighborhood, bring them back to the military base where we lived so they could see something else. And my cultural experience, and this sounds kind of convoluted, I get that, but my cultural experience of traveling around the world allowed me to do that. I mean, it, 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 it makes uh, uh, it makes perfect sense, right? Uh, in many ways, uh, a synonym with culture is is compass uh, and, and and barometer as analogies, right? Mm, yeah. you, you 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 were grounded uh, and had the ability to draw upon that expanded consciousness in Spain to help you to navigate. That's where that compass comes in, and also to be able to adjust, if you will. Uh, like you do, a, a, like a barometer does uh, to pressure. The pressure's around, yeah. right? But but you had that to draw from. The, 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 how you phrase the question determines the answer. So for those who have not traveled, who grew up in uh, Panama City, uh, they, by consciousness, become subservient by default, right? Uh, I wouldn't border to, to go as far as to say then that on some levels, it also, by where the system by way of the history, uh, it has made a generation of people culturally ignorant. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, you know, uh, the vanguards realize that there's power around who controls culture. You know, there's an economic aspect. There's a power aspect of it as well, too. Right? Yeah. Uh, and some people play for keeps. And so, you know, even as adults, I would submit to you, <laughs> uh, there are those that... Uh, uh, you got to draw deep on your culture when you go into some of these meetings. You know, even as president, and I'm sure you've, you've seen this in, 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 in your profession, for sure, in, in your walk of life, where you're in a meeting and it's a pivotal moment. It's a make or break, and we need that idea. And Mike, you so eloquently as you are, says, well, you know, I believe that we need to go east. Wait for it. Did you hear that? Dead silence. And then, and then, and then Dave's buddy, who is white, Comes in and go. Um, let me. Uh, 
you know, I think we should, uh, how about going east? Oh, my God, Dave. Wow. Wow. How insightful. How deep. Well, because there's a cultural paradigm. That was something. Yeah. That, you, you, yeah. see, you, 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 you see where I'm going with all this? Oh, yeah. So, 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 so say, culture is a complicated. I mean, we, 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 could, we, could, we could go deep, right, both historically and culturally. And then you start getting into privilege and, 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 and power and, and those sort of things. This is the reality, man. And, and so in many ways, when we're talking about knowing your culture becomes a lifeline to me in terms of keeping your sanity, man, and preservation of self, particularly as you matriculate up, generalizing that as you so-called move up, the politics uh, 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 and the consequences associated with these positions, man, you got to come <laughs> grounded culturally, educationally, spiritually, and otherwise to have a fighting chance. Coming into it without those, buddy, it, it, it'd be a long, challenging life because there are those that will remind you about the inferiority of your culture, which we haven't touched on yet. As I go out to the historical piece as well, too. There are those that will submit that there are superior cultures and that there are rewards for those as designated. <laughs> and if you don't fit within that cultural uh, cast, uh, it's game on. Yep. It is game on. Something I find interesting, um, several years ago, there was a, well, I shouldn't even say several years ago. I think it's ongoing. But every time they take surveys and about um, United, kids who were born here, and studied here as opposed to education overseas. For some reason, the kids from overseas, India, uh, China, places like that, they seem to excel much faster. I remember when I was going to college, um, I was going to college with a guy who was from Vietnam. He hardly spoke English, but he came first in the class every single time. Why is it? Give me a better understanding as to why kids who are overseas seem to excel at a much faster pace than kids who are here? Is it, is it socioeconomic? Is it, what is it? I guess well, I'm looking for answers. I'm feeling for answers here. Oh, but, but, okay, but we got to factor a couple of things in too, though. Right. That, uh, first of all, the, 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 the kids coming from the outside who come here, mm-hmm. first of all, let's start with the coming here. That means on some level, they have the resources to be able to come. Right. Here, here, right? Uh, so, so what I'm heading with that too, though, is, is that, that means that oftentimes, though, some of those kids, even with language barriers, uh, come uh, from a from a from a, a more advantageous socioeconomic situation in the context of where they're coming from. Uh, uh, here is one aspect of it. Second, education uh, in many cultures outside the U.S. is almost the equivalent of like like NFL football or basketball. Uh, or, or rap music, or I mean, it's 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 the currency. I mean, education is the main event, both culturally and economically and otherwise, because all you really have is education. It is almost like some ways the great equalizer, but then it is also very competitive to matriculate in some of those cultures as well too. Hey, uh, uh, India, uh, gosh. Again, generalizing, man. Uh, yes, I'm ge- uh, you, you, generalizing. You, 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 generalizing, you know, uh, you'd be not swollen. I'm saying to the, the, the Indian guys, uh, uh, when I was at UT, 
you know, you put the you put the call out. You need some tutors to help students with math. I mean, Indian students coming up the wazoo, you know, killing in math. English wasn't that good, but right. they were talking about doing the equivalent of pre-calc and calculus in middle school in the system that they were in England. Well, crap! By the time they came to college, <laughs> our math is a joke, right? Uh, for those of us that came on the classical education system, I tell folks when I came to college, uh, my freshman year in college, I had already read and uh, 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 read rather uh, 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 as you like it uh, 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 Shakespeare's sonnets and Yeats and you know yeah. uh, uh, right. So so in some ways, uh, those externally education, uh, I would submit to you, uh, is a big premium. And Barbados, which still to this day has the highest literacy rate in the world. Almost 96% yeah. of the population can read. Why? Because a gentleman called Elabara had the vision back in the 70s that he wanted black folk to do more than cut can and pick cotton out of the fields. He, he, he wanted free education, free education, uh, which is a, was a novel concept, certainly in, 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 in the early 70s, created a generation and then a cultural uh, respect and support for education. And it is very, very, very competitive. So they compete educationally from having with all of that um, uh, and, and, and undergirded with the cultural and in some cases the uh, religious backings as well, too. It elevates it. The second thing, too, is, is that just like in Barbados, uh, everybody doesn't go to the University of West Indies. It's right. a very small percentage of the population. Right. right? So what I learned in, in, in the Indias and the Japans and all that here in the U.S., college is just for everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you want to go to college, you go to college. You know, Harvard and the elites, of course, you know, you got to bring some more to it. Some of those countries, man, only the very elite get to go to the you know, high school. Yeah, yeah. Thing, right? so, so I think you got to factor all of that in uh, as well as to uh, how to perform. And then my last piece is the power in America. If you come to America as a lawyer, uh, as, a, as a radio guy, et cetera, you got to almost start from scratch in the U.S., yeah, you almost reprove yourself. So there's a hunger and battle survivability just to survive. You got to assimilate, learn, get in, learn to code switch, burn the candle at all ends, right? Because you come uh, without fire and passion. I knew when I left Barbados, my last check from uh, the CBC television was uh, eight hundred Barbados dollars, and that and and that was a month. Oh yeah. So so when they come in, right? Yeah. I knew I, uh, two things wouldn't, wouldn't be available. One, I was going to get to college, and two, I was going to finish college. But what, what else do I have, right? Other than going back without anything, right? So, so I, put, I put all of that, maybe in a long way, the response that, um, that there are several pieces associated with why certain people perform better in a particular setting has that uh, all the uh, underpinnings of uh, what I meant. But taking, taking that into consideration, what you just said, how do you deal with that as a as uh, as an educator? How do you take that in, in, into consideration in terms of how you work with the students here who might be a little behind? Like you said, I mean, I can tell you from personal experience. When I came from Barbados here and went to college, my first year of college, everything seemed really easy because we were so far ahead. You know, all the work seemed extremely easy at that point in time. So, yeah, so we, we got a range from English second language. For those that got uh, language uh, type issues, there's a score usually required on the, what they call the TOEFL. 
mm-hmm. uh, showing English proficiency. So that's one resource that we provide. Right. Certainly uh, the whole peer uh, mentor approach. So we are intentional then that the tutors, the success coaches um, are from, uh, also include, if you will, other international students who have done well and decoded the information. And as a peer, they can help peers type thing. Uh, so we, we, we are very intentional uh, in that way. And then third, you know, as we speak, man, I am constantly pushing the envelope uh, with the argument that I need more diversity in the classroom. Students nice. need to see somebody who look like them nice. because it removes the guesswork about the level of intelligence and whether you're capable or not and blah, 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 yeah. right? Are uh, the ways in which that uh, we try to assimilate that. And then, uh, you know, we Black History Month. We have uh, tomorrow a series of uh, uh, panelists doing presentations about the complexities around black history and educational attainment, et cetera. That creates rich dialogue because when you get in the setting then where there's poor rural whites, international students, native blacks, then having a conversation after a lecture, it's a richer conversation because they come at it from different angles. So that's uh, the three ways that I will respond to your uh, question. Reiterating again, white college to me uh, is such a unique uh, thing. It's done well, where you can really, you talk about expanding the breadth of, of your understanding, right? Uh, is because it, it goes beyond the, as they would say, the book knowledge, uh, which is an important part of it. Uh, but there's always nuances and contextual pieces uh, out there as well. well let me, uh, 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 I want to try to mention this before I forget as well, too. A big part of my work over the past three decades public speaking, prisons, high schools, boys and girls club, corporations, et cetera. What I try to do through the so-called gifts and opportunities that I have is constantly, they used to call me a, a motivational speaker for many years. I, I, I quibble a little bit with that term, right? I see myself more as an empowerment uh, speaker, meaning I, I like to uh, the art of trying to get people to think, right? So, so, so for example, um, I could set my clock, Black History Month. Um, there's a state penitentiary. Kentucky State Penitentiary is about 45 minutes from Paducah. Back in the day, uh, starting when I had more time, they would bring me in to speak for Black History Month. And people would say to me, gosh, so, you know, what are the inmates like? And, you know, I said, you know, it's interesting, uh, first of all, because you got an eclectic group of men, uh, in this case, right, men's prison. Uh, and the stereotype of just, you know, thug crazy, drug crazy. No, you, matter of fact, you go in and if you try to remove the bars, it's almost like being in a college sort of environment because everybody isn't in orange or green. That's like think they regular clothes, uh, right? Uh, for some. Uh, second, I submit to you that I also always get nuggets in every environment. One of my most profound, based on the feedback that I've gotten, presentations I've ever done. The title is I See Men but I hear boys. That came from prison. Speaking of prison, let me clarify that for your listeners. Me presenting in prison. And the brothers uh, was bum-rushing me as I came through the door with these manila envelopes. So I said to the warden, I said, hey, what's, what are those envelopes all about? He said, you guess what's in those packages? I said, I don't know. He goes, they're cases. And I said, so what is it they want me to do? I'm not a lawyer. He said, yeah, but they want you to take those cases back up to society so you could fight again and out because, quote, everybody sees themselves as being innocent. So I get ready to do my, my, my spell for Black History Month, 
And, and the brother goes, hey, man, look, I know you're getting ready to spit the lyrics and all that. And he said, man, but my question is, what you going to do for me? You, know, you can just talk. You know, you're an educated man and all that. Uh, don't be talking down to us. You know, that whole deal, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I let the brother get the thing off his chest. And they said, uh, so that's your issue? I said, can, 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 I, can I offer mine? So here's my issue. First question, think. We're in America on a Tuesday night at 6.30. Can you find 150 grown men in the room? I can't. I would hope maybe church and maybe a college setting or in some setting, one. Two, there was a convenience store about a quarter mile as I came in uh, to the prison. I can't take not one of you 200 and so assembled here today to go back to that convenience store, grab a gallon of milk. Many of you could have did like this poetry piece and then did this rap piece, et cetera. I said, the brother here, and I talked about uh, this letter that he read to, to, for his daughter. I said, your, he said trust, I said, trust me on this. Your daughter would prefer for you to be at home, sitting on your lap or sitting across from you, pouring some milk into some hot chocolate where you, you could ask her about, about her day and have her to read maybe a, a poem or an assignment from school. The issue for me is I got 200 and something men on lockdown that I can use in society. Wait for it, wait for it, because I see men by the hair boys. How many of y'all got kids? Show hands. That's about everybody and multiple kids. Well, who's taking care of yours? Yeah. I see men, but I hear boys, right? And so, right, so I go through this whole thing, man, uh, as a grown man, that prison, and I'll park on this, I don't wait too, too far down the track, uh, but, but prison for some men is the first time in the life that they had somebody in authority to go stop. Uh-uh, you don't get to set the rules. Mm-mm. No, no, we set the rules, first of all. Second, brothers would tell me in, in, in the Q&A and, and, and that session that sitting in their cells was the first time in their life that they were forced to be still. Because when brothers and sisters are still, your consciousness, so to start reflecting back on the crimes that they committed and, and the families and the hurt, and, and they ask them, well, how about your parents, your mother, your father? And you know, the brother talked about man, me and my brother, one is in the Tennessee state. I'm here at Kent, uh, Kent State. She put about 30,000 miles a year on the car, driving back and forth. And I'm going, what's the conversation of a mother like driving in two directions? There are two sons incarcerated. Consciousness. See? So for me, my body of work in different settings is always about trying to get people to think and to rise above their environment and, the, and their setting. So ultimately, I say to whoever will listen to me, especially brothers, my bias because brothers here, especially brothers. A society that's a whole nother world, that's a whole nother program. But I say to brothers, look, in many ways, society is like a cauldron of hot water. Some of us are like eggs. You put egg in, in, in boiling water. The outside is hard because brothers like to be hard. But when you peel, the inside is soft. I need for you to be more like, 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 a, like, you know, like, like a coffee bean. Because you put a coffee bean in hot water, it changes the environment. So for me, it's all about changing your environment culturally, educationally, socially, and otherwise. Hence why we need you to travel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> travel far, travel wide, and travel yep. often. 
Get the hell out of your comfort zone. In, in the yes. few minutes that we have left, I, I wanted to ask you a question because I know this happens to me all the time. Yes. When I travel internationally, I don't care if it's Asia, Europe, Latin America, or whatever, it almost feels like part of me feels like I have to be a cultural ambassador for the African-American experience on one hand. On the other hand, I don't feel the pressure of being something other than who I am when I'm in those countries. In other words, they don't look at me as, in a lot of cases, as the black guy, unless they consume too much American television and they start to buy the <laughs> stereotype. And then, then I got another issue on my hand. Uh, but you know, this is especially true of me in Europe. I'm, I'm fortunate. My uncle was also in the army and I've got two cousins. One of them graduated from high school in Germany and the, and the other one, not only, I think she got off through eighth grade, came back to the U S graduated from mm -hmm. high school, her husband's in the army, and they went back to the same place in Germany where they were as kids. So I've got a lot of international flavor in my family. And every time I talk to people who've traveled internationally, especially African-Americans, it's like taking a breath of fresh air when you walk out yeah. of the United States because you don't have to carry this stigmatism with you. Ha ha have yeah. you experienced that? Sure, sure. Uh, but, but, but again, one can argue, though, that uh, for many countries uh, uh, around the world. Uh, they do see the U.S. certainly as clearly one of the leaders. They got the power of television. They got the power of the movies, right? They got the wealth. Uh, it's one of the few countries on earth where you got every season that you could imagine. So it could be a, self, it, it could be a truly a self-sufficient country uh, compared to England has no natural resources. Right. As an example. Right. So they, they got to rely on. So 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 I use that first as a backdrop in that. So for those on the outside, I think that there is such a curiosity that probably people on the outside probably read more uh, like the New York Times, USA mm -hmm. Today, than, than the Native American, you know, Native home uh, uh, Americans would, would do. Right. So when you travel throughout Europe. Right. Uh, their focus isn't on race and racial issues and civil rights and all that sort of stuff, for lack of a better word, it's about the, the, the rich vibrancy of culture, man. Hey, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, you go to France, right? They've got the artistic uh, piece and, you know, different countries got their own flavor of, of what it's all about. So you coming in, hey, welcome aboard. Welcome to the family. You know, how can we help you? That type of thing, right? Yep. It's very different, though, when you, as you said before, uh, stateside, so, so it's, it's like the cruise analogy, right? You get on the cruise, you know, and, and, and you're here on the mainland, you get in the water and man, the white folks start braiding the hair like black, especially if it's a, a cruise to the islands. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but <laughs> oh man, they get immersed all in the culture and you know, you that guy and, and, and be cool. Once that trip, uh, that, that ship turns to come back home and you hit the port, the braids <laughs> come out. Let's <laughs> be clear, you may have been to Spain, but you a brother uh, of in Vegas, uh, Southside, East 30th Street. Nah, we ain't hearing none of that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that tru is so true. Trust that me, when, so I say, trust me <laughs> when I say I've experienced that. I know Dave <laughs> wanted to ask you before we uh, let you go here about the December initiative. Dave, you had mentioned that at the top. Yeah, I, I just want to give Dr. Reese a chance to speak on that. I have been, uh, thank you so much uh, again, gentlemen. Yeah, I, 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 I consider myself uh, incredibly blessed uh, to have the opportunity to do hopefully a couple of things in life uh, to serve me, help others. One of my life mission statements is I have found my voice literally uh, through education, uh, through culture, 
And so my task is to help others to find theirs. When you do the sort of work in education, it's all about getting people access uh, to education, getting them great support, getting them to come across that stage to get that degree. That's a beautiful thing, but it takes resources. So uh, last uh, fall, December, uh, I got a call, which I must admit I thought was a hoax, uh, that a philanthropist uh, was uh, very, um, uh, was the word, admired the work that I was doing. I've been at this work for 30 something years with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, I uh, uh, got from a representative of uh, Mackenzie Scott, where I didn't make the, the link initially because of the last name, till uh, I did a deeper probe. Uh, so it's the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, uh, gave us $15 million uh, wow. as a gift nice. to college to uh, support diversity, equity, and inclusion. So as we speak, uh, I have a, a vision, a seven sector framework uh, where I want to be able to provide and remove the financial barriers um, where basically I could say to breathing adults, uh, regardless of color, geography, you want to get an education, uh, it's going to be free on our watch because the goal is to get more people uh, empowered and educated and do their thing. So uh, I'm, I'm very, 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 very uh, humbled and appreciative that uh, we were fortunate to do that. And, uh, you know, I also look forward to uh, May uh, 1st, uh, May 18th, I'm sorry, uh, at one o'clock. My college has been consistently ranked in the top 10 out of a thousand colleges across the country. So this may, we'll see uh, if we get to become the number one uh, community college in the entire country. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see so where that far. goes. So, so I, I'm thankful and, and I'm appreciative. Man, oh man. Oh yeah, man, you. I, you, I, you should be proud of not just the money, but your accomplishments vis-a-vis your university. I think you know, leadership starts at the top and you're the man. I don't, you can sit up and be humble all you want. I'm not going to let you get away with being humble. Uh, You know, you're putting forth the work that is enabling that university that you are the president of at this time to even be in competition, to be the number one uh, uh, college in the country. So kudos to you and don't be humble because we're we're not going to let you off. Hey, Michael. Hey, hey, Michael. Listen, I just want to let you know he was born in Barbados. Oh no! Here we you go. Know, his, 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 <laughs> here we his, go. <laughs> his 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 early education was in Barbados. You know, so come on, man. What but, what but, else? But, but he probably doesn't drink as much rum as you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, actually, I, I don't. Even, I, I don't even drink, man. You know. But, uh, See, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. point taken. Hey, <laughs> it, it's just one of the things, right? But but, but 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 Mike, I am quickly. I am reminded though uh, about uh, humility has its place, right? Uh, the wine connoisseur Julio Gallo was working 20-hour days up in his 90s. And a reporter said, Julio, you are the wealthiest and most famous wine connoisseur of all times. Why do you work so hard after being so successful? He says, today I sip the wine, but I'm always reminded tomorrow I may be back picking the grapes. So that keeps me humble, my friend. <laughs> on, that, on, on that note, that is a good way to end. <laughs> So travel, go yes, abroad. <laughs> Thank Culture you. broadens your scope. Get out your comfort zone, go see the world, and bring the world to you. 
Amen. 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 Dr. Reese, I appreciate you doing this. I know Dave and I were ecstatic to get you and I'm glad you reached out and uh, we were able to reciprocate. And I hope we get to do this again sometime. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. And, you know, a lot of it is related to travel. I don't I, I don't think people understand how deep the travel industry is in terms of, of education. So, uh, yeah, we would like to get you back sometime. We got some yeah. other things to talk about. Yeah. And do you have any books out there that... Uh... You know, I've been taught for years, man. I, I have not written books, man, and I need to, oh, but, man. you know, I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm, be working on it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to engage the guys from the, law, from the law school chat to push you on it. Yeah. I appreciate that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, we've been talking to uh, Dr. Anton Reese, and uh, again, we appreciate you for uh, joining us today. Uh, you will find... Uh, all about the university and his background on our website when we post this in a couple of weeks. So on behalf of one David Cumberbatch or the Barbados Flash, as I call him, this is Michael Gordon Bennett uh, saying so long and we'll see you next time on TripCast 360.